Ruth chapter 2. We're actually going to start out in Philippians chapter 2. So if you want to put your finger in Ruth, you can and go over to Philippians 2, uh, verses 12 and 13. There are times that we really want to focus on prayer and times where we want to talk about sitting and waiting. But then there's also a time to act and a time to move and time to do. And today we're going to talk a little bit about working out your faith. And ultimately what I want you to think about today is what has the Lord called me to do? What is the work the Lord has called me to do? And am I doing that work? And hopefully if you leave today with some assurance about the work that you need to do, I think that that will be what we would desire from this time. Let's look together, Philippians chapter 2, in verse 12, the scripture says, Therefore, my dear friends, as you have always obeyed, not only in my presence, but now much more in my absence, continue to work out your salvation with fear and trembling. For it is God who works in you to will and to act in order to fulfill his good purpose. I'll be very clear. I think everybody knows this that's gathered here today, but just to make sure you cannot earn your salvation with God. You've already failed. All right. We come out of the womb failed. We are sinners. And the only way we can be reconciled to God is through the work that Christ did on the cross. Okay. So if we talk about working out things and we talk about good deeds, we are not by any means saying that that earns your salvation. But we all know this. I've been studying James even in my devotions recently, that what happens is when faith enters your heart and it enters the heart of a believer, it displays itself in good works, right? So if you say you have faith, but you have no works, your faith is dead. It's, it's useless. So today, what we're going to look at is this very idea that Paul was writing to the church of Philippians, which is to work out that salvation with fear, with trembling, knowing that it's God who is working, God who is acting. We're going to see this in the life of Ruth. First, I want to start off with a little illustration from John Ortberg. He writes in a leadership journal, he says, significant human transformation always involves training, not just trying. Spiritual transformation is a long-term endeavor. It involves both God and us. He says, I liken it to crossing an ocean. Some people try day after day to be good, to become spiritually mature. That's like taking a rowboat across the ocean. <laughs> it's exhausting and usually unsuccessful. Others have given up trying and they throw, them, excuse me, they throw themselves entirely on relying on God's grace. They're like drifters on a raft. They do nothing but hang on and hope God gets them there. You've been there? <laughs> Amen. He says, neither trying nor drifting are effective in bringing about spiritual transformation. A better image is the sailboat, which if it moves at all, it's a gift of the wind. We can't control the wind, but a good sailor discerns where the wind is blowing and adjusts the sails accordingly. Accordingly, working with the Holy Spirit, which Jesus likened to the wind in John 3, means we have a part in discerning the winds, in knowing the direction we need to go, and in training our sails to catch the breeze that God provides. 
And that is transformation. That's a good example, isn't it, right? The winds blow different directions, don't they? There's good winds, there's bad winds, there's hurricane winds, and some days there's no winds, right? And in our own lives, we could probably seen that true. There's days that are just wonderful and fun, and there are days that are difficult and hard, but all those days are wind. And it's what are you doing with the wind that God gives your sails to make the most of it? You have to act. There's a part where God is at work, but there's a part where you are working too. And that's the message today from Ruth chapter two. So if you want to flip your Bibles over to Ruth chapter two, and kind of like we did last week, we're going to make our way through the chapter. Super quick review here. So we talked about Ruth last week. She, what was her nationality? She's a Moabitess, right? Moabite from Moab. Uh, Ruth and Orpah, they were the wives of Malon and Kilion. And you'll remember that Elimelech was kind of the patriarch. And his wife, you remember Elimelech's wife? Naomi, I remember what Naomi's name meant. Pleasant, good. Naomi's name meant pleasant, and things were good until famine hit the land. They left, they went to Moab, and that's where they run into Orpah, they run into Ruth, and then she gets these two new daughter-in-laws, but we know that Naomi goes through some of the hardest times that people can go through, right? She loses her husband, and then she loses both of her sons. And Naomi is distraught, and she's like, I'm just going to go back home to Bethlehem. And we know later on the significance of Bethlehem. So she makes her way to Bethlehem, and Orpah and Ruth say, we'll go with you, we'll go with you. And Naomi's like, no, 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 you can stay, stay here. And so eventually, what's Orpah do? She stays, right? She stays with her family. She stays with her gods, is the way that Ruth kind of hints and intimates what happens there. But what? or what Naomi says. But when Ruth decides to go back with Naomi, everything changes, okay? Ruth has decided to commit to Naomi's God. She says, where you go, I go. Where you stay, I stay. Your people will be my people. Where you die, I will die there too, and your God will be my God. She made a commitment to her mother-in-law that was basically indestructible. And so we see her commitment. Now she gets back home and Naomi tells everybody, don't call me Naomi anymore. Call me, right? Because I'm bitter now. My life, though, and she says this so clearly to me. She says, the Lord has brought this difficulty on me. That's, that's pretty clear, right? She recognizes God's hand in the situation and she is attributing those things that have happened to the Lord. And so she says, you know, call me bitter. And so we saw at the very end of chapter one last week, there's a little hint of something pretty amazing to come. And that is that the barley harvest was about to take place. And we wanted to say, and I think I'm on track. You guys check the preacher with this. But I think that is basically the hint that there is hope. Hope is alive. Keep hope alive. Good things are about to come and about to change. And so today, let's jump into chapter two and kind of start to see some of the activities that are taking place in Ruth and Naomi's life when the barley harvest begins. Ruth chapter two in verse one. Now, Naomi had a relative on her husband's side, a man of standing from the clan of Elimelech, whose name was Boaz. And Ruth the Moabite said to Naomi, let me go to the fields and pick up the leftover grain behind anyone in whose eyes I find favor. 
Naomi said to her, go ahead, my daughter. So she went out and she entered a field and began to glean behind the harvesters. As it turned out, she was working in a field belonging to Boaz, who was from the clan of Elimelech. Now, what I want you to see, this is kind of the theme of the message this morning. There is definitely a time to just pray and just wait. I have a hard time with that. But there's a time to do that. But what I want you to see is, in Ruth's example, there is a time to pray and to act. Did you see what she did? Naomi, again, I'm just, this is some penology here, but I'm guessing Naomi in her state, in her age, was probably not able to carry much or to do much work. But they didn't have any food. They didn't have any men in the house providing for them. So they had to make a way for themselves. So Ruth could have sat in her home. She could have just prayed and she could have said, Lord, I need you to bring this to me. But here in this example, she felt the Lord's leading in her life to go and to act and to do. So she steps out and she begins to look for a way to provide for uh, her and for Naomi. Now, there's a really interesting tradition in Israelite uh, culture that I think is, is really unique. Leviticus chapter 19, verse 9, the Lord through Moses speaks to the people and says, when you reap the harvest of your land, do not reap to the very edges of your field or gather the gleanings of your harvest. Do not go over your vineyard a second time or pick up the grapes that have fallen. Leave them for the what? For the poor and for the foreigner. I am the Lord God. Did you catch that? This is his character. When he puts the last phrase on there, this is the God that we serve. He wants to take care of the poor and the foreigner. Again, my devotions this week was James, and James says pure religion is taking care of the widows and the orphans and keeping your tongue free from evil. So this is interesting. The same Lord is speaking. He says, when you go and you harvest... I want you to do this. Now, we live in a time of unbelievable efficiency, don't we? I mean, you want to get every little penny out of that radish. I'm mixing metaphors there, right? You want to get every little bit of thing out of it so you get the most for yourself. But if you heard what we read there in Leviticus, what did the Lord say? Don't go through there a second time. As a matter of fact, if some of the fruit has fallen down, let it be. Why was that? So the poor and the needy and the outcast could be taken care of at least in a little bit, right? This is a great reminder to me of generosity and how it, it can be so tempting for us to be so efficient that we don't help the poor, but we need to make sure that we have allowances for those in need. So I want to ask you a little bit today, I'm going to hit this again in just a minute. How are you taking care of the poor and the foreigner in your Do you have room for generosity for the poor and the foreigner in your life? That's kind of a challenge, isn't it, right? Sometimes we're just trying so hard to survive ourselves, we can't see beyond ourselves. And here the message today is the Lord says, I am the Lord your God. I'm the one who wants to take care of the poor and the foreigner. Well, let's look down again, Ruth chapter 2, verse 4. So just then, again, we know that Ruth went to Boaz's field. Just then Boaz arrived from Bethlehem, and he greeted the harvesters. The Lord be with you. The Lord bless you, they answered. And Boaz asked the overseer of his harvesters, who does that young woman belong to? 
And the overseer replied, she is the Moabite who came back from Moab and Naomi. She said, please let me glean and gather among the sheaves behind the harvesters. She came into the field and has remained here from morning till now, except for a short rest in the shelter. So, verse 8, Boaz said to Ruth, my daughter, listen to me. Don't go and glean in another field and don't go away from here. Stay here with the women who work for me. Watch the field where the men are harvesting and follow along after the women. I have told the men not to lay a hand on you. And wherever you are thirsty, go and get a drink from the water jars the men have filled. It's kind of interesting here when Boaz shows up, what's he say? The Lord be with you. And then they get a response from the workers. The Lord bless you, right? And again, maybe we're reading too much of this, but it seems like Boaz already has a good reputation with his workers, doesn't it, right? There's something there about him that they appreciate him, which in my mind means this is a man of character. We also know that he's a wealthy man. He's going to be a landowner, and in that time meant that he was, he was a wealthy man, a man of influence, uh, even in his area, his community. But he is definitely interested in Ruth, isn't he, right? Now, I don't know, and again, there's a lot of conjecture from different commentators, if, when does it actually flip from someone I want to care for to someone I have a romantic interest? Because we'll see there's definitely a romantic interest later on from Boaz to Ruth. But here, he definitely wants to care for her. He wants to reach out. He wants to help her. And so he asks about her, right? Who is this young woman when he talks to his harvesters? Who does she belong to? And notice what they call her. Again, back up in verse 6. She is the Moabite who came back from Moab with Naomi. How do they know her? She's that foreign girl. She's got that funny accent. She wears those strange clothes. She doesn't walk and talk like everybody else. And again, I think when we read about Ruth, we, don't, we forget that a little bit. But in, in that culture, in that community, Ruth is different. She really stands out. And she is going to be known as the Moabitess, probably for the rest of her time that she lives there. And yet, God in his grace is going to use this person who's different and strange to everyone else to bring about your eternal salvation. If I had a mic, I would drop it. Did you catch that? The foreigner, the Moabitess, the young girl who eats strange things and wears her clothes different than everybody else. And when she speaks, it sounds odd. She doesn't really fit in around here. Well, what's God going to do with her? Oh, she's going to be the grandma of David and be in the lineage of Jesus. And the way that Jesus enters the world will end up becoming partly through Ruth. Everything, the blessing that you get from Jesus, a little bit of that comes through this foreigner through this Moabite. So today, let's say this first. If you ever feel like the outcast, praise the Lord. God loves to use the outcast. He loves the underdog. He loves to take the person that everybody else says doesn't fit in and do something amazing and great with that. So don't feel bad if, if you feel sometimes like you're the outcast because that's who God loves to use, okay? And again, I want you to see that God also provides for her. Uh, sometimes I think we feel like, well, God only provides for his people. But again, I am the Lord, your God. I care about the poor. I care about the foreigner. And we see the Lord providing even in this instance. Now, how does Boaz advise her? Hey, come here, Ruth. This is my property. That's not my property. Don't go over there. <laughs> again, a culture that is 
somewhat different than ours. It's like, you need to stay on my land, okay? Over there, there may be some men who will try to harm you. Over here, I have a great reputation with my men. They trust me. They know me, and they will follow my direction. You stay here, and you will find protection. There's the Lord's grace even in that, right? Also, you stay here with these women. There's fellowship and companionship here. Also, you stay here, and if you're ever thirsty, what do you need to do? You just ask for something to drink and what? It'll be provided for. There's refreshment there. Look at all of those things that the Lord is giving to Ruth. And again, what I'm going to say this morning is because she stepped out in faith and she decided to act, but she had to follow the Lord's lead. I want you guys to think about that this morning. How's the Lord asking you to step out in faith? Where is he asking you to act even this week? And if you can find the Lord's voice and find his will and follow his lead, just know that he is going to bless and work when you step into things he's asked you to do. Again, it's his will to work and to act in you when you work out your salvation with fear and with trembling. Of course, Boaz sees something very special in Ruth. Look down at verse 10. Look at her response. At this, she bowed down with her face to the ground, and she asked him, why have I found such favor in your eyes that you notice me a foreigner? And Boaz replied, I've been told all about what you have done for your mother-in-law since the death of your husband, how you left your father and mother and your homeland and came to live with a people you did not know before. May the Lord repay you for what you have done, and may you be richly rewarded by the Lord, the God of Israel, under whose wings you have come to take refuge. Does this lady have the most amazing spirit? Boaz is offering her things, and I'm afraid your preacher would be something like, oh, thanks, that's great. Give me a little more. What you got? You know? <laughs> she puts her face to the ground and says, I don't know why you're being so kind to me. Why would you notice me, a foreigner? Even Ruth knows that she's different, right? She recognizes that. That label is not going away. But in humility, she steps before Boaz and basically is saying, thank you so much for your kindness and here's what I want to challenge you today. This is so hard for me. Maybe some of you seem to do it better than I do. But can you be thankful and grateful even in difficult circumstances? Ruth's life wasn't easy here, okay? I think sometimes we may gloss over this old romantic story, beautiful story of God's grace and stuff. This was not easy. This is two women on their own trying to survive. No money, very little possession, and they have to act in order for something to happen. It's not an easy way to be. And yet her heart is so grateful and so filled with gratitude. Mother Teresa once told the story in an address to the National Prayer Breakfast back in 1994. She said, one evening we went out and we picked up four people from the street. And one of them was in a most terrible condition. And I told the sisters, you take care of the other three. I will take care of the one who looks the worst. So I did for her all that my love could do. I put her in bed. And there was such a beautiful smile on her face. And she took hold of my hand and she said two words only, thank you. And then she died. I could not help but examine my conscience before her. And I asked, what would I say if I were in her place? And my answer was very simple. I would have tried to draw a little attention to myself. I would have said, I am hungry. I am dying. I am in pain or something like that. But she gave me much more. She gave me her grateful love. And she died with a smile on her face. Gratitude brings a smile and becomes a gift. Now, I don't want to even begin to tell you today that is easy. 
But what I'm trying to let you see in the life of Ruth and something that we can work on in our own heart is to try to be grateful and to see God's love even in the most difficult of circumstances. It's there. It's there. And we want to give that gift of grace. So again, Boaz blesses Ruth here, and he asks that God will repay her kindness. And, and Ruth's testimony had gotten out, hadn't it, right? Hear the Lord today. <laughs> if you're honoring the Lord, if you're loving and taking care of the people that the Lord has placed in your life, other people are going to notice that. And the workers notice that, oh, that, that Ruth, she's the Moabitess, but she's taking care of her mom. As a matter of fact, she left her mom, her dad, her culture. She left all of that to come and take care of Naomi. Wow, that's amazing love. And her testimony spread around to that community. Again, I challenge you this morning. Sometimes it is tempting to push away the foreigner, isn't it? Let's just be honest. People that are different than us, it is tempting to push away people that are different than us unless we've stepped in their shoes a little bit. But we need to help the foreigner find Jesus. <laughs> For years and years, our country has tried to send missionaries all over the world. And we've done that job to some extent. But now we live in a day, so often a day, where God is bringing the nations here to us. My brother, Tyler, and my sister-in-law, Kelly, their whole mission, their whole ministry is that when foreign students come to the University of Illinois, that they spend time with them to share their gospel with them because they want the foreigner to know Jesus. Just like if I was the foreigner, I'd want someone to tell me about the love of the Lord. Again, a challenge this morning because sometimes in our culture, we want to shut down and shove and hide and push away the foreigner but it's so clear here again in the book of Ruth that we need to love the foreigner, don't we? And share the gospel with people that are even different than us. Look down at verse 13. May I continue to find favor in your eyes, my Lord, she said. You have put me at ease by speaking kindly to your servant, though I do not have the standing of one of your servants. Verse 14, at mealtime, Boaz said to her, come over here, have some bread and dip it in the wine vinegar. And when she sat down with the harvesters, he offered some roasted grain, and she ate all she wanted and had some left over. And as she got up to glean, Boaz gave orders to his men, let her gather among the sheaves and don't reprimand her. Look at verse 16. Even pull out some stalks for her from the bundles and leave them for her to pick up and don't rebuke her. Now, this is where your preacher thinks probably this is where the side starting to kick in a little bit, right? He's already like, okay, you stay in my field. Well, now it's like he's telling his men that you need to take care of her. And not only that, but I want you on purposely to knock over a few things. So she'll have a little bit extra to take home, right? He invites her to come and sit with him and to dip in the vinegar, the, the food that she's eating. She ate and was satisfied. Think about that. I don't know, but this may have been the first time she was satisfied since she'd come back from Moab. I don't know. They were in hard times, hard straits. And again, if you're on a date, ladies, do you usually like eat as much as you can in front of the guy you're trying to impress? Is that how that works? Maybe in modern days it does, but in the old days, a lot of times ladies would kind of be a, eat a little bit less because they didn't want to seem like they were uh, you know, eating way too much in front of someone they were trying to impress, right? She ate all she wanted. That's kind of interesting, isn't it, right? She ate and she was satisfied, and you're going to notice that she has stuff left over, and that's going to become important here in just a moment. But again, Boaz said, 
pull some of the stocks aside, take care of this young woman. I want to make sure that she has plenty. Verse 17, so Ruth gleaned in the field until evening, and then she threshed the barley she had gathered, and it mounted to about an ephah. She carried it back to town, and her mother-in-law saw how much she had gathered, but also brought out and gave her what she had left over after she had eaten enough. Verse 19, her mother-in-law asked her, where did you glean today? Where did you work? Blessed be the man who took notice of you. Then Ruth told her mother-in-law about the one at whose place she had been working. The name of the man I work with today is Boaz, she said. I want you to see this. This is pretty amazing. Ruth gleaned and threshed and carried. Ruth didn't expect Boaz to take everything back to Naomi, did she? She didn't expect him to uh, take the wheat and start the threshing and start the winnowing. She did all of that. Ruth did the work. Hear the Lord this morning. If you want to please the Lord, you've got to do the work. Oh, preacher, I don't like reading my Bible every day. It just, it's hard. Do the work. Preacher, I just don't have time to pray that much every day. Do the work. I don't, I get nervous around talking about people about Jesus. Do the work. Every Sunday, you want me to be here when I can? Yeah, whatever you can. If you can be here, I want you to be here. Do the work. All right. Maybe the work is going to help out in a, uh, you know, one of our anti-abortion clinics. Maybe the work is going into the nursing home. Maybe the work is feeding the homeless. I don't know what the work is the Lord has you to do, but you need to do the work. And Ruth did the work. And God blessed her for it. So you pray this morning that Lord even help you see what the work is. Well, how much is an ephah? It's five and a half gallon tub, 22 liters. We know what a two liter is, right? 11 two liters. Any of you want to walk and take 11 two liters somewhere? I was just trying to carry around the, the coolers, and uh, Jacob was trying to, uh, for this weekend, they were so heavy. Now, it was kind of funny. We did have a raccoon get into one of them. He didn't have any problems. <laughs> but 22 liters of uh, harvest that she's taking back to her mother-in-law. And again, think of their status, their situation. Like, they had nothing coming back into town. And here, now they have plenty, Right? I'm sure Naomi was just like through the roof celebrating how great the Lord was. And so she asked, you know, where did you get all this stuff? And Ruth says, you know, the man I was working with today, he is Boaz. Now look down at verse 20, and we'll finish up here. and Look at uh, Naomi's response. The Lord bless him, Naomi said to her daughter-in-law. He has not stopped showing his kindness to the living and the dead. She added, that man is our close relative, he is one of our guardian redeemers. Then Ruth the Moabite said, he even said to me, stay with my workers until they finish harvesting all my grain. Naomi said to Ruth, her daughter-in-law, it will be good for you, my daughter, to go with the women who work for him because in someone else's field, you might be harmed. So Ruth stayed close to the women of Boaz to glean until the barley and the wheat harvest were finished. And she lived with her mother-in-law. This is that we were talking about last week. The barley harvest was about to begin. Their whole life is about to be changed. And this is the beginning of it. I want to urge you today, if you're going through a rough time, there's so much more life to come. And some of it is here, but some of it is, most of it is in heaven. 
and it is waiting for those who trust and believe in the Lord. And the barley harvest is just beginning, and the Lord will bring it to fruition. So Naomi is so pleased, and it's so interesting to see, right? Naomi was the bitter one, right? The Lord has done this to me. The Lord has told me, to, and here she's already going back. The Lord is the one who's blessing, <laughs> right? Naomi is praising the Lord for his provision, for his kindness, for his goodness to them. She had been fighting bitterness, but hope had arrived. Maybe again today you're fighting grief or bitterness, but seek the Lord. There is hope to be found. Jesus has come, and he's calling you to follow him. Now, Boaz had not stopped showing kindness to Ruth and Naomi, but also to even the lineage of Elimelech, and that's what Naomi shares, to the living and the dead. Did you catch that? Right? Not only is Naomi and Ruth being blessed, but what's going to happen is Malon and Kilion and Elimelech's name, it's going to be preserved because of God's grace, and Naomi can already sense that and feel that, and she praises the Lord for taking care of the whole history and heritage of her family. Boaz does not stop showing kindness, and he is now named here. This is the whole key to this whole book. Uh, the NIV here has a guardian redeemer. I'm more familiar with kinsman redeemer. This is Jesus, okay? I probably should just step back because this should probably be next week's sermon, but I just can't stay away from it for very long. <laughs> the book of Ruth is about a kinsman redeemer. That is someone who has the right to redeem and someone who has the ability to redeem. And we're going to see that Boaz meets both of those things. He was a relative, so that gave him the right, but he had lots of resources and provisions because he was blessed by God. And so that gave him the ability to redeem. Jesus is the only person who was ever sinless. Because of that, he has the ability. Oh, but not only that, he became a human being. He's your kinsman. And because of that, he is our kinsman redeemer. He has the right and the ability, and he accomplished that. And so all the way back in Ruth, we have this picture of the Messiah that we even sang about this morning. Boaz is a kinsman redeemer, a relative who has heritage, but also will have ability. So Ruth shares her testimony and she listens to Naomi's advice. Think about that for a second. How many of you like to listen to your mother-in-law or your father-in-law? There's one or two of you out there. That is one of, especially early on, that was one of the hardest things for me to do. And I love my, my father-in-law is easy most of the time, but if he would tell me, well, this is the way you ought to do this, I'd kind of be like, well, I might can find a different way. And if my mother-in-law said I needed to do something, I was doing the exact opposite, All right? What is that about us, right, as human beings? You think you know, but I'll show you, right? Again, Naomi's already made this huge commitment, but look at her love for her mother-in-law. And she listens. She listens. I challenge you again today to listen to the Lord and listen to the Lord who is speaking into your life from people that you know have your best interest at heart. Listen to them. And, and Ruth listens. And she finishes the season, the harvest, working with Boaz, living with Naomi, and really good things happen. Bill Norman says in, in First Things First, uh, uh, Rod tells of a business consultant who decided to landscape his grounds. So he hired a woman with a doctorate in horticulture who is extremely knowledgeable. 
because the business consultant was very busy and he traveled a lot, he kept emphasizing to her the need to make his garden in a way that would require little or no maintenance on his part. He insisted on automatic sprinklers and other labor-saving devices. Finally, the horticulturist stopped and said, there's one thing you need to deal with before we go any further. If there's no gardener, there's no garden. There are no labor-saving devices for growing a garden of spiritual virtue. Because a person of spiritual fruitfulness requires time, attention, and care. And if I'd say it one more time to you today, do the work. If there's no gardener, there's no garden. If you won't do the work that the Lord has before you, your life is going to be on a wave tossed about. So I encourage you this morning to pray, to seek the Lord, say, Lord, what is the work you have me to do? And help me do this work, okay? Can I share something real quick from your preacher's perspective? I shared this with the guys this weekend. Uh, We uh, have a Indiana mission board. And someone asked me to be on that mission board like two years ago. And I said, well, they had actually asked me to be the chairman and I had never even been on the board. I'm like, well, that's weird. So I can be on it, but let's all meet together and see how things go. Well, guess what? And they haven't met this whole time. So then this next meeting that went around, they're like, well, can you be the chairman? I'm like, well, I I can be the chairman, but I don't even know what we do because we've never met. (laughs) And the Lord has been convicting me and working on my mind and working on my heart. And it's like, I've already got a lot. I got plenty of stuff going on, Lord. I don't need anything else to do. Amen. And yet the Lord is like, no, no, no. I need you to do this work. And so today, your preacher is asking you for wisdom, that you would pray for the pastor, that he'd have wisdom about what can he do to help maybe kind of ignite a little fire on this mission board and to help it start becoming more than it is and what God wants it to be. And I'm so hesitant because these guys, I'm kind of the former Illinois. (laughs) I'm a little different. My thinking is a little different than they're a little more conservative in some ways than I am. And and I don't know how this is all going to go work, but I know that the Lord will make a path if I'll do the work, right? And so today, maybe you have that thing in your life today that the Lord's been calling you and challenging you to, to step up, to do the work. And let's pray for one another today that God would help us to be faithful and we work out our salvation with fear and trembling, okay? Let's stand this morning. Thank you again for your patience and your time. We will take a little time of prayer this morning. Um, Before we do that, does anybody have something you'd like to share? Maybe the Lord is challenging you and you'd like to ask for a prayer just like your preacher did just that moment. Anyone else today? All right, well, let's take this time to pray and ask God to really to move in us to will and to act for his good pleasure. Heavenly Father, we're just so thankful for your word. It never ceases to amaze me how you speak and move and challenge my heart with it. And just thank you for that today. Lord, we thank you for Ruth's example. And Lord, first we pray for you would forgive us when we cast aside the poor and the foreigner. And Lord, uh, some of the media that comes at us encourages us to do that. And Lord, I pray that you'd help us to reject those things and please make us grateful and compassionate and really love the poor and the foreigner that you've put in our lives. And please open our eyes to those things there, Lord. Lord, we thank you for Ruth's example, uh, such an incredible level of commitment, faithfulness, and Lord, willingness to do the work, to act, 
to step out of her comfort zone into a very strange and, and uh, scary sometimes place, Lord, not knowing what is next. And yet, Lord, you were with her and you blessed her and you made her name great among the nations because of her faithfulness. And Lord, I pray that you would work in our hearts today. Lord, I don't know what you're calling everyone here to do today, what that work is that they need to do. Lord, it may be as simple as some spiritual disciplines. There may be some people here today that need to renew a commitment to studying your word, to spending time in prayer, or to spending time in service. Lord, help them to hear your voice this morning and help them to step out in faith and to act. Lord, I pray as a church that you would guide us. And thank you for the opportunities you give us with the homeless ministry. Lord, I pray that you would move us forward in those things and help us to do the work there, Lord, and to do it well. And Lord, most of all, I pray that you would help us to share Jesus and that he is our kinsman redeemer, that he is holy and perfect, that he is our family member, that he became one of us, or that your name could be forever praised and that we could be reconciled to you. So God, today we love you. We ask you to help us and to help us as we try to work out our salvation with fear and trembling. It's in Jesus' name we pray, amen. All right. Thank you guys so much for being with us.